You're listening to the Citizens Church Podcast, a resource from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. So Advent focuses us in, it zeroes us in on two big, meaty theological doctrines. And those are a lot of big words, but theology just means the teaching about what all the Bible teaches. And doctrine is just a church word to say the church's teaching. That's what docter means, to teach. But we need to focus on these to zero us in because there's a lot of theology. But Advent's gonna point at two things. And it's these two. It's the incarnation, and the perusia. Now this one you may have heard of. This one you may have not, and that's okay. The incarnation literally means the in flesh. You can remember it like a carne asada taco. You got a lot of meat on the taco. It means God's going to put on meat on his body. I know you're people like too crude, Justin. It's like, I know you're thinking about it. I know you are because I am too. Um, An incarnation means in flesh of Christ. It's speaking of Christ coming, being born into the world as a baby, a true human with flesh. God was always God. Jesus was always a person. But through the birth of Mary, he adds a humanity. He becomes a full true man, not a half man, not a fake man, but fully man and fully God. And we focus rightly big on the cross and resurrection, Rightly so, very important. But guess what? If God doesn't become flesh, there's no cross. You can't pin nothing to a cross. And there's no resurrection because someone has to get up out the grave. If you edit the incarnation, you devoid and miss huge parts of Christian teaching. You miss out on the fullness of what Christ has done for you. The early church theologian Gregory of Nazianzus reflected on it this way. He says, what has not been assumed has not been healed. It is what is united to his divinity that is saved. If Christ isn't fully man, then he can't fully save you. We need a God who comes down to us. Most religions of this world are some attempt to get more and more spiritual, more and more moral until you work yourself up to God. We have a religion where God came to us and even became one of us in order to redeem the rebels who broke the law and rebelled against God by coming and being a man himself to live a perfect life that we couldn't and die a death we did deserve and then get up out of the tomb three days later, defeating death sin, and Satan himself. Jesus' incarnation was a service to us, God coming down to us. And Philippians 2 is really helpful here. It's kind of a perfect Advent scripture because it links these two ideas, this incarnation and perusia together. Look with me at Philippians 2, 4. It says, let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on a cross. So Jesus' incarnation, one, makes it ability to save us by that cross. Without it, we're not being saved. Two, his incarnation teaches us how to live. 
Jesus did not look to his own interests in becoming a man. He didn't look to his own interests in going to the cross, but he looked to ours to save us, which is instructive that the incarnation teaches us how to live our life. Why do we care about others? Why do we love our neighbors? Why do we stop being so selfish and start being God-centered? Because Jesus was, and it's the only way to live. But look what this author Paul connects it to, verse 9. He says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on Jesus the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This passage shows us how the incarnation connects to the second advent, the second coming of Christ. When Christ came first in a cradle, he'll come back with a crown. And at that crown, every knee, every tongue shall confess, every knee shall bow, whether they're in heaven, whether they're already dead under the earth, where they're currently living, it won't matter. Whether they belong to Jesus or not, everyone's going to bow their knees to King Jesus and confess him Lord. And it's speaking of this is the end of the world as we know it. When the king comes, comes the final judgment, the final salvation, and the beginning of the entire world once again. So when we think about Advent and Christmas, there's a first coming that we look back to, that God came to our world. He came and dwelt among us. But then we also look forward that the king is truly coming, that all the love, the hope, the peace, the joy, it will be incomplete in this life because the king is not back. But one day he truly and fully will return. Advent is our attempt to hold the tension of the future and the past, but stay in the now and say, I wanna strengthen my faith with indestructible joy with hope that never stops hoping, with peace that comes not from me and not from my yoga, but comes from a prince of peace who can give it to me as a gift like salvation and love from Jesus that never ends. And today, Zachariah, Elizabeth, and their tiny son, John, who will one day be the Baptist, today he's just the baby, teaches us about belief, joy, and discipline, and how they all fit together in God's plan for your life. See, Zechariah was an important priest in God's temple. And we learn a lot about him and his family just from verses six and seven. Look what it says. It says, and Elizabeth and Zechariah were both righteous before God. That means they were legit believers. They loved God and seek to follow his ways, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the, statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Remember in the first century Judaism, nearly everyone was married. It would stand out like a sore thumb if you had not been married. And with that, nearly every marriage had many children. And so if you were married and didn't have children, most people took it as some sort of curse must be on you. Why has God not opened your wound? Something must be wrong. And there was a legitimate fear in a world with no social security. If there are not kids and grandkids, what's going to happen to you as you age? There was, a, a, there was an aura of shame and pain and confusion around them because of having no child. And that God, 
Elizabeth and Zachariah, they were good people. They were righteous people. Zacharias is this well, Zacharias is this well-known priest. And you can imagine all this confusion. But one day, Zachariah goes to work. It's an ordinary day. A lot of times we like to think everything's extraordinary. Nothing happens in the ordinary. It's about to get really extraordinary, but it was just an ordinary day. He goes to work. It's his turn to enter deeper into the temple and burn incense. And it picks it up at verse 11. It says, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. That's not typical. The temple, we don't have a temple and that can sound like, oh, maybe angels are always in the temple. There was never an angel in the temple for Zechariah. This has transformed his day. He's just looking to get in, get out, not mess it up, do all of his duties and go home. Then he meets what would be a wild, terrifying, otherworldly creature that he'd only read about in an Old Testament that hadn't been added to in 400 years. It was an ancient document even to him. And the idea of angels was a wild out there, probably could happen thing in his mind. And then it very much did. The angels before him. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. That's why he's troubled. Fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink of wine or strong drink. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their God, to the Lord, their God. And he will go before him in spirit and power of Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zachariah's surprised. Zachariah's having his mind blown. Zachariah's troubled. And into this, the angel drops the beautiful bomb of blessing in his life. Verse 13 is something to cling with all your soul to, church, that the Lord has heard your prayers. The angel is confirming what we've been told, what we hope every time we pray, everything we say to our Lord, we hope he hears us. Why do Christians pray? Because God is good and he listens. And he's hearing the best news he could possibly hear that the decades of his prayer and faithfully trying to have a child has been answered in a moment. And while every child is a gift, this child, this John, will be no ordinary child. He's told he'll be great before the Lord. It will cause joy and gladness for his parents and the rejoicing of God's people overall. And that's not all. Verse 16 and 17 tell us that John will grow up to be this kind of second Elijah. He'll be filled with the spirit and power of maybe the biggest prophet of the old Testament. And at that time in Jewish culture, people were actively excited and waiting for Elijah to show up because they know if Elijah shows up, that means the Savior's coming next. And even today in Jewish households all over Birmingham, as they do the Passover, many families leave a chair open for Elijah to come, that he is invited to come and fulfill these prophecies in their life. 
And John does fulfill that role as a second Elijah. This is the same Elijah we talked about last week in James 5. It's his life. And John will also fulfill Malachi 4, which is this wonderful prophecy that the gospel would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and then children to their fathers. But it expands here to say it's going to turn the children of Israel, their hard hearts, back to God himself. That this boy is going to grow into a man who's going to lead God's people to prepare a way for the Lord, which starts to quote Isaiah 40 there, that one will come to prepare the way for the Lord, to prepare hearts for the Messiah, both teaching people to repent and turn to God, but also pointing out that there he is one day. And Zechariah got the, got the prayer of his heart answered, not just answered, but thundered to, to, that the boy would grow to biblical importance in world history, that the Savior that all have awaited is actually coming, that his family is now getting swept up in the story, an angel has appeared, and yet Zechariah chooses in this moment to disbelieve. Everything he's probably ever hoped or prayed in his life came true in an instant. And look what he says. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Better hope that didn't get back to his wife too quick in this. His prayer as a generally righteous person seems like it was prayed alongside with a fair amount of cynicism that maybe God doesn't listen or God doesn't care or God's not good enough and God not, God's not powerful enough to answer this prayer. Did you know you can pray and have not great motives at the same time sometimes? Because out of the abundance of our heart, our mouth speaks. He doesn't make a mistake here. It reveals what's been brewing for 60 decades of his marriage. Have you ever, the pain of not having a child had clouded his heart from trusting the Lord's power? Have you ever felt like undealt with pain in your life has kept you from trusting God's power? That suddenly God wasn't who he said he was or that wouldn't have happened? It's probably a very similar thing. The angel responds in verse 19. Says the angel answer him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. That's how you can know I'm telling the truth. I've met God face to face. I was sent to speak to you, to bring you this good news. See, there's a shock in the angel that he has responded this way. I'm here. I know God personally. I'm here to tell you the greatest news in the history of the world. The prayers that you come to this temple and pray, all are answered as a leader of God's people. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. See, Jesus, God is not like the elf movie. We don't need to believe in him to like activate or make God real. God can use us or go forward in spite of us either way. And at his disbelief, they do. And the people were waiting for Zechariah. They're wondering, what is going on in there? And they were wondering at his delay at the temple. 
And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he'd seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked, upon, looked on me to take away my reproach or shame among the people. See, Zechariah's disbelief of God's word brings discipline into his life. He is to be silent about the greatest thing that has ever happened to him. And it's a chain reaction. Instead of joy and rejoicing breaking out all over the temple, imagine if he came back out after the delay and said, I saw an angel. My son is going to point out the Messiah. Everything's coming true right now. And he had the authority to actually do it. I would hope people would break out in questions, but also dancing, also celebrating. These are the people here to pray night and day at the temple. But instead of joy and rejoicing, as the angel said this news should bring, people are just confused. And one man can't tell about the biggest moment of his entire life. See, Zachariah has lost his voice, and he leaves the people confused, the people he was entrusted with leading. Refusing God's word leads to sorrow and confusion multiplying in our life. Yet Elizabeth, without seeing the angel, believes and rejoices. She declares God sees her, which is an echo of the Old Testament of God seeing us in our pain and acting and listening to our prayers on our behalf. She joins this long line of faithful people, which God sees, hears, and acts in their life. And she immediately sees that God is taking her shame that's came from people, not from God. She's taking this reproach away from her. See, Elizabeth takes God at his word and joy is the result. Church, when we receive Jesus and his word with belief, it leads to joy. When we refuse Jesus and his word, it leads to sorrow and discipline. It sounds too simple. But the thing is, it's too true. There is a simplicity of the Bible and God's word and Jesus to say when we see Jesus, when we hear God's word, to receive it will lead to joy. To refuse it will lead to sorrow now and sorrow later. And if you believe, discipline now to bring you back to your Lord. Now, Mary, who is Elizabeth's little cousin, I feel like we missed this part. Mary is Elizabeth's little cousin. She comes to visit and she is pregnant with Jesus. And she's maybe 18, maybe 16. She is a young lady and she is running with haste. Verse 39, it says, In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted her cousin Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb, this is John, leaps, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy, and blessed is she 
Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Mary went with haste to the comfort and security of her cousin. Church, it's okay to need people and be full of faith at the same time. Mary is not pulling a Zachariah. She talked to the angel and accepted what was happening in her life, even though it sounded wild that she was going to conceive a child from the Lord. But she still is having a whole lot of feelings about what's going on. And so she goes to her cousin's house. She goes to a safe place in her life and just says, I'm just going to go there. And she is greeted with joy. Elizabeth's baby, John, the one-day Baptist, leaps with joy over the womb of Mary's womb with baby Jesus. Elizabeth's filled with the Holy Spirit and declares a blessing of joy over this woman who's overwhelmed, a woman who's appropriately needy, a woman who's appropriately hasty, running through the hill country, whatever that means. And all she hears from Elizabeth is joy, 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 joy. You are blessed from God. Elizabeth is ready to bow down to the womb of Mary because she knows the Lord is here. And Elizabeth can do all of this because the key verse is 45. Blessed is she, she's saying Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. She's speaking about Mary and us as a reader, see, she's also speaking about herself. She believed that the Lord was doing what he was doing in her womb. And so she is ready to receive Mary and the Lord with joy too. And it instructs us with Advent, how do you faithfully receive Jesus? As good news with much joy. See, just how sorrow multiplied a disobedience with Zechariah, these women's obedience is leading to joy multiplying all over their life. Elizabeth is talking to about Mary's faith and joy, yet we see she's also speaking like a narrator to us. Your best life, your blessed life, church, is a faithful life with God himself that's believing God at his word. A Christian believes God at his word. If we choose not to believe God at his word, we're following something, it's just not Jesus. Jesus has spoken and our joy is in believing him. She can share in her joy because the Lord rules her heart. And think about what that home dynamic must have been. Because I'm sure Zachariah is excited about these things, but he's sitting there silent in his own home. Mary's having such a good time. They talk and hang out and do pregnancy things for three full months after this. Mary then bursts into her own song. They're having like a Broadway show of fun. And Zachariah's like, oh gosh, I am thoroughly missing out as a new dad, as a priest of God and husband to my wife and cousin also to Mary. And this goes on for months. He loses his voice in like day one of the pregnancy. It's nine months of silence to sit and think about all of these things. And this is just such a beautiful picture of what Christians believe about the unborn people, that they're people, that people in the womb have personalities, people in the womb can teach us, people in the womb relate to their mom, relate to others, and relate even to God. And it's such a beautiful picture of what Christians believe. Yet God's discipline of Zechariah here, it isn't the end. 
just like God's discipline in your life is not the end. See, God's discipline is an opportunity, if you listen, to believe again. Look at verse 57. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. Nine months has passed. And she bore a son, just as the angel said. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. As they look and faithfully receive God's mercy, their joy abounds once again. But there's a problem. The friends and neighbors say, this name John doesn't make any sense. No one in your family is named this. And it prompts a chance for Zechariah to exercise his faith, to believe God at his word through the angel, to name his son, that his name is to be John. Look at verse 63. It says, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately, Zechariah's mouth was opened, his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors, that healthy, reverent fear, that all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with him? See, Zechariah obeys. He has a second chance in front of God's people. And obedience is just belief and practice. What you believe does boil down to what you do. It is the revealer of who we are, as James 2 tells us, that our faith should work in real life. And God immediately removes his discipline. And Zechariah has learned to receive and not refuse the Lord and joins the joy in full. See, the Lord disciplines those he loves as a good father should. Hebrews 12, using Proverbs 3, teaches us this very lesson that is wildly unpopular today, but is all the way through the Bible. My son, do not Regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Let's say the one he hates there. Church, say, who is it? Who's the one the Lord disciplines? One more time, the one he loves. Ready? One, two, three. Good enough. And corrects every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. It's not just enough that the discipline happens. That doesn't fix anything. It's the nine months that Zachariah had to sit and miss out in some ways, not be able to do these things. And they literally deep down say, I'm going to root the cynicism out of my heart by repenting to my God and believing him at his word. For it is discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. One of the signs that you are a Christian is that God disciplines you. God's discipline isn't a sign that God's leaving you. He's a sign that he's saying, I'm not done with you. This is God not giving up on you, but drawing close to you to say, I'm right here, but we can't do this anymore. God does not bring discipline to destroy us, but to pull us back into the house, his house, where we belong as his children. 
He's saying there's a space at the table and this is how we get back in the house, my friends. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. He disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. Church, we should expect the discipline of the Lord in our life. If we can't think of any scenarios where God's ever disciplined us, that's a bad sign. We should be able to think of times when I've deliberately chosen disobedience or gotten so mixed up that I, I don't know where I'm going and the Lord put like a signpost in my life, you must go down this path now in order to bring me back to you. That that is God's mercy in our life. He's not trying to destroy us, but discipline us. Earthly fathers, if you're an earthly father in this room, you are doing a great kindness to kindly, gently correct your children. It is training them up to know the Lord one day. You are placed in their life as a substitute for the Lord for a season when they are small. When they grow, you're gonna have to change your style, but you are building that up. Moms too, the example is, is fathers, but it applies to all parents and all people. When we covenant to do child dedication, moms, the whole church is saying, I'm gonna help with the discipline of each child, not to harm them in any way, but to love them and help with small correction, sometimes big correction in their life. So they see there's a consistent group of people who worship the Lord, that it's no fairy tale that the angels are real, Jesus did come, he is coming back, so let us follow the Lord unto our joy forever. That is God's plan for your life, that is God's plan for your growth, church. We should expect the discipline of the Lord not to break us, but to make us one day beautiful like Jesus. If you want to, if someone's like, man, I'm really growing in my life, part of that should probably be how the Lord has disciplined you and brought you clearer and closer to still waters and green pastures. It's God's grace to you and proof that you belong to him. The Lord disciplined Zechariah because he loved him and wanted him to share in this joy rightly. He didn't want Zechariah to get left out of the story of his own son and the redemption of the world. It was a high stakes discipline. And I'm so glad Zechariah obeyed and was restored with joy. God's discipline in your life is not the end, but an opportunity to believe again. It's proof that God is with you. He's not giving up on you. He hasn't left the building, but is calling you home. And so church, I wanna ask, where is God at work today in your life with discipline? Where do you feel frustrated in your plans, frustrated in, in your actions, frustrated in what you're trying to accomplish or do, frustrated in parts of your life? And would you ask the humble question to go, Lord, is this actually you trying to teach me something else? Where has the Lord allowed you to become silent or taken away in ability? I can't get more specific of that because it's your story and I don't know but it's a deep and wonderful question to ask, Lord, are you teaching me something that needs to go in order that I may grow like my Lord? See, here's the thing. 
you cannot grow church if you have known unrepented sin in your life. There is nothing else to obey. There is nothing else to go do. There is only one story. Repent of that sin and follow Jesus. All the other stuff doesn't matter. If you have a known sin in your life, the only step of obedience is to repent of that thing and follow the Lord's path towards deep, full, beautiful restoration. To go on in any other way is just to do religion. God has a relationship with you. Yes, Christianity is a religion, but at the heart of it, God is a father. And in his son, Jesus Christ, who incarnated to us, he died to make us whole. He was broken on a cross to bring you home, church. And he loves you. Perhaps God has seemed distant. Our joy has been low. Maybe it's because of known yet unrepented sin in your life. We cannot hold on to sin, even sins like Zachariah's cynicism that bubbled up in a moment and grow in the Lord at the same time. I remember a time in my life not all too long ago where I felt the Lord's rebuke from a friend. He'd been trying to get a hold of me for some time. I've been too busy. I've been too this. This is several years ago, and eventually showed up on my porch and sat with me and wanted to talk to me about how he felt I'd been pulling away from him and others for a longer period of time. And I remember being angry at the moment and offended and blah, 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 blah. And then as he left, only convicted. So I had to apologize to him on top of it. But eventually, as I repented, saw my own neediness started to attend to my own emotional pain and grief, started to attend to how I was acting out in those ways. The sweet comfort of the Lord flowed like a river to say, I want you to live a different way. And it's possible with me that you're not out because of this. You're actually very much in my house. Church, God disciplines those he loves and God's love leads us to joy. Here's the truth, that discipline will lead you back to God. So whatever it is today, if you see it, confess it. Confess it even to others to make it real and be healed. Repent to God and turn back to Him. Refusing God's word leads to sorrow and discipline, but listening to discipline leads to life. Trust Zachariah's story. It can be your story today and every day in the gospel. Zachariah's belief in God's word brought him joy. And this is how it ends. He starts singing the gospel. He bursts into joy with everyone else. So as we close here, I just want to read his song to you. We'll have an extended time of waiting for communion. But I want to read over you what Zachariah actually says about the Lord as he's restored. He hasn't spoken in nine months. And he says that kid's name is John, and this is what I have to say next. Before I do that, I want to walk you through communion. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Likewise, he took a cup of wine and he blessed it, saying, this is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. So we take this bread, remembering Jesus' body was broken so that we could come to God with our sin. 
So we take this wine remembering Jesus' blood was shed so we can confess and be healed. We are to take these elements as often as we gather as a reminder of what Jesus has done and his soon return. Yet this meal is only for believers, people who are about that reality, who've confessed and repented and trusted Jesus. If that's not you yet, I invite you to stay seated. Consider the sermon, the liturgy. Why are all these people serving and singing and loving this Lord, this invisible God? who once walked as a man. Come to chat with me after. I'm delighted you're here and we can have you ready to take communion even next week if you wish to confess, repent, and follow this Jesus. Church, I'll pray for us. We're in no hurry. Consider how you belong to Jesus as I read Zachariah's story, his song over us. You can close your eyes or read along. Let the Spirit of God move you through his word. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's his turn. And prophesied, saying, Not cursed be the Lord for making me silent, but blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people, starting with Zechariah, and has raised up a horn, a strength of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old. He's telling us it's all true. Everything came true. And God's not going to let him miss it or miss his role in the story. That we should be saved from our enemies, even ourselves, and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. All the covenants were made with blood. And baby Jesus would grow to be a man, and it would be his blood in the final one. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear. God's vision of your life to serve God in joy and gladness, not cynicism and half prayers. In holiness, and righteousness before him all of our ordinary everyday days. And you, child, speaking to his son for the first time in nine months to be able to look at his baby boy and speak, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Zechariah has listened. He believes Isaiah 40 is coming true. To give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the sunrise, every sunrise echoes this one whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death 
to guide our feet to the way of peace. If you feel like you sit in darkness, in the shadow of death, I have good news for you. God has you right where he wants you. That the sunrise of the gospel is your sunrise. That God wants to do a new thing in repentance and discipline in your life today. It was true for Zechariah. It's true for the history of the world. It's true for Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. And the child grew, became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Zechariah sings the song of the gospel. Do you, church? What is the background music of your advent? Let the song of the gospel lead you all the way home. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.